Hey, so glad to be here with you. This morning, I have a couple announcements still that I uh, just want to let you know about. Uh, in two weeks, Pastor Jake's going to begin a new sermon series called Game Changers, and it's uh, going to be an eight-week sermon series uh, focused on eight people in the Old Testament, and it's just going to be a great series as we learn about them, their faith, and how God used them to just do some miraculous things. So I encourage you guys to be here. Also, be inviting your you know neighbors, family, coworkers, whoever you can uh, extend an invitation to you know it's just as simple as just making the ask hey you want to come to church with me this weekend it's as simple as it needs to be so I encourage you to do that game changers uh beginning in two weeks currently we're still in my passion series two weeks ago pastor bill back from sabbatical uh spoke and his his sermon was titled uh shut up and listen and talking about just being still and quiet before god and letting him speak to us rather than us always filling the time with our words And then last week, Pastor Dan talked about three creation truths, how we discern God's word, how we receive blessings through Jesus, and how we are created to give God glory and praise. So if you missed those messages, weren't here, weren't able to be here, you can always find them online at uh, greatoakscc.org slash listen, um, or you can go to iTunes and just look up Great Oaks Community Church, and then you can get the podcast weekly. So I encourage you guys to do that. Um, Just some great messages. But today... Today I get to talk about my passion, um, but before I tell you what that is, I want to tell you a story. A story about a man named Lieutenant Hiro Onada. Now, Hiro Onada, uh, in 1944, was ordered to conduct guerrilla warfare and prevent an enemy attack on the tropical island of Lubang in the Philippines. There's a picture of him up there when he was enlisted there in the Japanese army. On March 10th, 1974, almost 30 years later, he finally surrendered his sword. He became the last Japanese soldier to surrender. He refused to believe throughout those 30 years as they tried that Japan had surrendered. He hid in the jungle. He lived off the land. He stole food and supplies from local citizens. He evaded search parties. He killed at least 30 nationals. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent trying to locate him. Leaflets, newspapers, photographs, and letters from friends were dropped in the jungle. Announcements were made over loudspeakers that he could surrender, that Japan had surrendered. Some 13,000 men were deployed in the effort to persuade him to give up. But it took a personal command from an old commander to persuade him to give up. Here's what he said in his autobiography entitled, No Surrender, My 30-Year War. Onada describes the moment that the reality of what had transpired began to sink in. I felt like a fool. What had I been doing for all these years? For the first time, I really understood. This was the end. I pulled back the bolt on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased off the pack that I always carried with me and laid the gun on top of it. The war was finally over. See, from our point of view, he was foolish, right? He didn't heed the words. All these people, all these different ways that they tried to approach him, he ignored them all. He refused, he resisted to surrender. But it made me think, aren't we all kind of the same way? Don't we resist in a lot of ways? We resist our parents. Sometimes we resist our bosses. More importantly, don't we resist God 
a lot of times in our life. He wants us to do something, go a certain way, a certain direction, do a certain thing. Don't we resist God at times? Some of us resist God outwardly. We, we live a life of sin. We're not ashamed to do just whatever we feel like doing whenever we want to do it. While others of us, pastors, teachers, policemen, engineers, we live a great life on the outside, but inside we're just struggling. We're just resisting God as much as we can because we prefer our way to God's way. I know I'm guilty of that. See, resistance to God is reckless. I was trying to find a way to illustrate resistance, and, and there's different ways. You know, there's uh, electrical ways, which I know some about. There's arteries, right? There's resistance in your arteries. Blood stops. What happens? You die. There's resistance. There's working out, which I need to do more of. There's good resistance there, right? We're lifting the weights, tearing your muscles, and building them back up. But, but the best thing I came to is a water hose. You know, if I take a water hose and I fill it full of sand, the water's not going to come out, is it? Especially if that sand sits in there and bakes in the hose for days. That water won't push its way through. It might eventually, but it'll take a long time for that, for that ho hose to be clear of that sand. And that sand will continue to put that resistance. But what we try to do, what we need to do, is we need to clear the hose out, right? And we need to let that water flow freely. And because of that, we can water our grass, we can water our flowers, our garden, we can let the kids play in the hose, whatever it is. But if there's resistance there, it keeps that water from flowing freely. So as I was studying, I was thinking like, okay, God, talking on resistance and surrender. So what, who, who should we look at in the Bible? And I came to the book of Jonah. Now, we probably all know the important part of the story of Jonah, but I want us to focus all, throughout all four chapters. And if you have time, it's a really quick read for you to be able to do at home. And I encourage you to because there's a lot of little nuggets in there that we're going to look at today. But I want us to begin in chapter 1, verse 1. As we read this together. So open up your Bibles there. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Or on your mobile app you can pull that up. And uh, pull it up on there. And then we'll begin reading here. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The son of Amittai saying arise. Go to Nineveh that great city. And call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. In these first three verses, here's what we see. We see resistance in action. We see God speak to Jonah, and then we see God, or Jonah run, right? He doesn't respond with a, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm going to go wherever you want me to go, God, here I am. Or he doesn't even, even do like maybe what our kids would do. You know, like we had to go to the store last night. And my kids were like, but why? I don't want to go to the store. You know, it, but Jonah didn't at least even complain and just say, but why? I'll still go, but why? Right? He didn't even do that. No, he just runs. He just takes off and says, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I'm not going, God. And what baffles me the most is even in that verses, it tells us that in the presence of the Lord, he departed. I don't ever want to leave the presence of God. Ever. But he did. 
just wanted to kind of give you a visual of what this journey looked like, okay? So on this map, you'll see where Jonah is A here. It's right over here in, in Israel, if you can kind of see. I know it's a little hard. But he was supposed to go about 500 miles east to B to Nineveh, okay? Wasn't that far of a journey? Not too far at all. And so God's saying, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, tell the people in Assyria, hey, they're doing wrong, right? But instead, he gets on a ship, and he decides to go all the way over to sea, okay? So that's 2,500 miles farther away. He's like, I ain't going anywhere near where you want me to go, God. Like five times, as far as I can go, I'm going there. So this is just a, a visual for you to see where he was supposed to go and where he, where he ended up deciding to go. But it got me thinking. Have you ever had a time in your life when you've ran from God? Have you ever had a time in your life maybe it wasn't even God. Maybe it was from your parents or a coach or a mentor, somebody in your life that had your best interests in mind and you knew it was the right way to go, but you decided to go a different direction. Have you ever been there? Have you ever ran? I know I have. In the story of Lieutenant Onada, we see him continuing to run, right? People are letting him know, hey, the war is over. You can surrender. You don't have to do this anymore. And he kept refusing to believe the words that they said, and he kept running and running and running. There's a rap song, running, 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 right? right. Sorry, I just went through my head. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, it's a problem with being a musician, right? So, but, but that's what he kept doing. He just kept running and resisting God. Resistance to God is reckless. Then as we continue reading in verses 4 through 15, I want us just to go through this. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you. But I want us to see what happens because of Jonah's resistance. In verse 4, we see that a violent storm arises, threatening to break up the ship. Then in verse 5, we begin to see the crew praying out to their own gods, right? They begin praying out to their own gods. And also they're taking the cargo of the ship, probably what they are paid to take, on the ship to take to a different place for them. They're taking all that stuff and they're chucking it overboard and say, hey, we're going to lighten the load because we want to survive here. And then in verses five and six, we see Jonah. What's he doing? Storm's going on. He's down in the bottom of the boat. He's just taking a nap. He's like, I'm good. I'm running from God. I am totally fine. I don't care what happens. And then the captain comes down in verse six and says, hey, dude, wake up. Wake up. Pray to your God. Maybe he'll save us. Maybe he'll save us from this storm. Then in verse seven, while this is all going on, it's kind of crazy. I, I, the pictures in my mind go like, all the storms raging, the ship's turning. They decide, hey, we don't know who's to blame. We're just going to cast lots, okay? So everybody, let's just get together around here in a circle. We know the boat's about to sink, but we're just going to get together around a circle. We're going to cast lots. We're going to find out who's to blame, right? And so they do that. They all pull a lot, and the lot falls to who? Jonah. Jonah. Right, Jonah. And then they ask him, okay, in verse 8, who are you? What do you, you do? Where do you come from? Who are your people? And then in verse 9, he goes, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then in verse 10, they go, what did you do? What did you do to make this happen to us? And he tells them, I ran from God. Then in verse 11, we see the seas continue to get rougher and rougher. I imagine like that movie with George Clooney, you know, the boat, him coming into the waves and like the waves are getting rough and I mean, the, it's imminent. The boat's gonna sink here pretty soon. Then they ask, what should they do? Tell us, Jonah, what should we do to calm the seas? And Jonah tells them, you gotta throw me overboard. 
You got to throw me overboard. But it's funny. He gives them the answers, but what do they do? They don't just chuck them overboard there. No, they say, no, no, no. Let's turn the ship around, and we're going to try and row back into port, okay? So they're, they're fearful of, of throwing Jonah in the, in the, in the water because they don't want to kill him, right? He gives them the answer. They turn the boat around, but the seas continue to get rougher and rougher. And then I love what happens in verse 14. Remember in the beginning, they're praying to their own gods. But here in verse 14, here's what they say. Then the, they cry out to God, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Remember in the beginning, they're praying to their own God. Now they realize who really is responsible. But they're fearful for their own lives, so they say, God, hey, let us out of this one because he told us, he told us that if we throw him overboard, you're not, he, he, the, the seas would be calm. And so they pray that to God, and then when they do, I can imagine they're sitting there praying, and they're just kind of swinging, and a one, and a two. Right? And a three, and then Jonah. Ah! <laughs> right? But it happens. The sea grows calm. See, our resistance to God is reckless. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I, was, I was in band in high school, in marching band, and I played the trumpet. And uh, on Saturdays, we got to go to band competitions, to colleges uh, around the state. And um, I think they still do that today. And uh, one of the competitions we went to that, that morning, we, went to, we always met at the school early, got there at 6, 6.30 in the morning, and you got all your your gear and helped everybody else with their gear, especially the bigger instruments like the, the drums and the xylophones or everything that was in the pit. You had to help them as well. And we got there early and we're getting it all packed up. And then the band uh, teacher, Mr. Tallman at Washington, great guy, uh, he, he came out with his assistant and said, hey, the competition has been canceled due to weather. So you guys can pack everything back up and you guys can call your parents. You can go home. Well, i I was going to call my parents and tell a senior guy, a senior trumpet player that I looked up to, he, he said, hey, Nate, you want to come to our house? A couple guys are going to hang out and get together, and we're just going to hang out and just, just chill. You want to do that? I'm like, dude, freshman, senior, sweet. Yes, I can do this. I, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to go hang out at their house. So I ended up spending the whole day at, the, at his house hanging out with them and just really doing nothing, just hanging out. But I was like, I'm a freshman hanging out with seniors. This is awesome right? This was cool. But eventually I started to kind of wear out my welcome, being the young guy, and they were like, hey, Nate, we're going to go somewhere here, but you don't have a car, and we really can't take you, and, and so you probably need to find another way to do it. So there was this girl I was interested in, and we were supposed to go to homecoming, so I called her, and I said, hey, you guys do anything tonight? And she's like, no, no, not at all. And so I said, could you could you uh, maybe have your parents come and pick me up and then we could hang out? And she's like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. And so I, I ended up going to her house and hanging out there the rest of the evening for the most part and just chilling with them. Went to my dismay, a phone, the phone rings. We didn't have cell phones in those days, except for like the Zach Morris phones, like those big, big things, you know. Um, the phone rings and it's my mom on the phone. Now, I hadn't told my parents all day where I was at. Remember, I was a freshman. I went with seniors. 
ended up at a girl's house that I was interested in. And my mom and dad had no clue all day where I'd been. No clue. But my mom, with her super sleuth skills, had found out where I was at. <laughs> you mothers know. You have that, right? That's, that sixth sense. You know where your kids are at all the time. Or at least it might, there might be a lapse in there, but you'll find them. You'll find them. And I knew, as soon as my mom, I knew as mom on the phone, my heart dropped my stomach. She said, what's your address? Nate's dad is on his way over. I was in trouble. <laughs> I was in trouble. My dad shows up. I get in the car. My dad didn't say a whole lot. He was ticked off. Um, but he said, you're grounded. And that's all I heard from my dad. He was mad, really mad. Now, kids... Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that to your parents. Because I know now as a parent, I couldn't imagine what I put my parents through. I couldn't imagine all day long what happened to me. I could imagine all the thoughts that are going through their mind. Was he dead? Did somebody kidnap him? Did he get in a car wreck? What happened? Did he run away? What happened? Where did he go? I can't imagine the fear and the angst that I caused my parents that day. You know, the funny thing is, kind of looking back, it was horrific at the time, but it's a little bit funny today, is my punishment was being grounded for weeks. I was grounded for weeks from that point. And that girl, that girl's house that I went to, so we were going to homecoming. So my dad and mom gave me one exception, okay? You can go to homecoming, but with an exception. I was supposed to go with her and my friend and his girlfriend and his nice Camaro and be like, yeah, this is awesome, right? But instead, my dad said, here's the exception. If you want to go, you can go, but here's the way you're going. I get to be with you every step of the way. <laughs> that was the most awkward homecoming I've ever been at. <laughs> but it made a point. My dad loved me enough to still give me the opportunity to go, but I had broken trust, right? I had broken trust. See, in our resistance, we not only hurt ourselves, we often put others at risk. Jonah did the same thing to the crew. When he got on that boat, he put all of their lives at risk because he ran away from God. Resistance to God is reckless. At the end of chapter one there in verse 17, we get to that famous part of the story, right? Jonah's thrown overboard. He's, he's thinking he's as sure as dead, but God provides a giant fish to swallow him, and for three days, he's in the belly of the whale. Now, how that works, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know the logistics of it. You know, you can go online, you can see different arguments for both sides, but there's one thing that I do know, that in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus does say this, and I think this gives credence to the story of Jonah. It's not just an allegory. It's not just a story that we get to read in the Old Testament. It really happened because Jesus points it out here in Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus gives us credence when he talks about it there. But I believe we also serve a God who does miraculous things, right? He can do whatever he wants. He made a donkey talk in the Old Testament. He had a pillar of fire, a pillar of fire, who can't say that word, and a pillar of cloud that led the Israelites by day. There's all these things that God had done. He can do this and let Jonah survive three days in the belly of the whale. 
But we see something happen there in chapter 2, right? We see Jonah's heart take a change, take a turn to surrender to God, saying, God, I know what I've done is wrong. I've ran from you. I've ran from what you've wanted me to do. And God, in this moment, even though it's taken me this much, it's taken me to be swallowed by a giant fish, God, I surrender and I pray that you save me from this. I'll do what you want me to do. It's kind of like floating in the pool, right? Remember the first time you go to swim lessons if you're old enough? I know I went to when I was about kindergarten, first grade, to do my swim lessons. Remember the first thing they have you do is to learn how to float, right? They put you out there and they say, okay, I want you to spread your arms out and spread your legs out. You tilt your head back and you just relax. But how easy is that not for us to do, right? We sit there and we try it and then we just bloop, sink. I know it took me multiple tries to just sit back and just relax and spread out my arms and spread out my legs and tilt my head back. And then once I finally relaxed, once I finally came to that point like I can trust this, then I was able to experience the freedom of floating, floating in the water. See, resistance to God is reckless, but surrender to God sets us free. See, surrender, surrendering isn't giving up, it's giving in. But what does that look like? For Lieutenant Onada, it took 29 years. It took him 29 years of hiding in the jungle, jungle evading capture, evading everybody until a personal, a personal individual, a commander, was able to give him that command and for him to lay his life down and surrender. Jonah had to endure the belly of the whale and t- until he finally surrendered, but God gave him and the Ninevites a second chance. We all know Jesus didn't just unwillingly place himself on the cross. No, he laid himself down on the cross and said, no, I surrender because I love you so much. I surrender to that. And what does freedom look like? Think back to the hose, right? If we fill up that hose, if we fill up our lives with junk and all these things that we want to do, it's hard to let God flow freely through that, right? If we get ourselves out of the way, then that water, God's Holy Spirit, can move through us and work through us and do things through us that only He can do. You guys believe that? Only He can do those things. We get to be the instruments that He uses, but only He can do it through us. Remember, surrender to God sets us free. So what's my passion? My passion is to surrender and for us all to surrender. It's not a bad word, not when it comes to God. Matter of fact, it's the best word we can use to experience his freedom and his goodness in our lives. It goes along with Pastor Bill and Pastor Chris's messages, or Pastor Dan, and I'm sure Pastor Chris's. You know, when we surrender God, we get to be still and know who he is. When we surrender to God, we get to know his word and discern his word. We get to experience his blessings in our life and we get to give him glory and praise because it's not about us, it's about him. I like what Paul says in chapter 12, uh, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. No matter what we do, each and every day, no matter what our job may be, our families, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, whether we're staying at home cleaning the house 
or working on our job, we can surrender each and everything we do to God each and every day. You know, I, I believe being, being the worship guy, the worship pastor, one of the biggest things that we can do is how we respond with our posture. You'll see us on stage at times raising our hands. And I believe a lot of times that that's just for us to be exemplifying our surrender to God, saying, God, here I am. Here I am, take me. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not gonna hold anything back, God. I'm giving it all to you. Sometimes it's hard when you're playing the guitar and with the microphone, but sometimes I just wanna get down and just say, God, man, I don't know what else to do but kneel. I don't know what else to do but get on my knees and say, God, here I am and surrender to you. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. Get on your knees and see how the stance of your physical body, how your posture is, how it changes the attitude of your heart, how it changes you inside. Because a lot of times, how we respond outwardly is just an, is, is just an example of how we're feeling inside, right? When we go to a sports game or a team that we love, we're not ashamed to jump up and yeah, do it, man. We're not afraid to do that. But when it comes to church, we're like, yes, Jesus, coffee cup, pocket in hand. Here we go, right? I'm not saying that you can't worship God that way, but I imagine the day that we walk into God's presence, a coffee cup and a pocket in the hand isn't gonna do because his greatness and his goodness and his glory is so good, you're gonna be do nothing but jump up and praise or get down on your knees and say, God, you are worthy because I am not. Our surrender to who God is is crucial to everything that we do in the rest of our lives because every day we have to surrender that. Remember, surrender to God sets us free. But also, our surrender continues. I love what Jesus said in Luke 29. We all know it, right? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily. Daily. Say it again. Daily. Doesn't mean weekly. Doesn't mean monthly. Doesn't mean once a time at Christmas and Easter. No, daily we surrender our lives to Jesus. And we follow after him. The old hymn, I Surrender All, was written by J.W. Van Deventer. And he wrote the lyrics to a song finally after he surrendered to the work God had been asking him to do. He was already a Christian. He'd already given his life to God. He was working in his church as a volunteer, helping out with crusades and revivals. And a bunch of friends of his kept telling him, hey, you need to, you need to quit your job as a teacher and teaching art, which he loved. You need to quit that, and you need, to, you need to go be an evangelist. You need to tell people about Jesus. And for five years, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He loved teaching art. He loved doing what God had gifted him to do, and he thought it was the right thing. And he kept ignoring what his friends were saying, but it was the right thing for him to do. And at a church meeting in East Palestine, Ohio, he finally surrendered all to God and said this, a new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered down deep in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. God had hidden a song in my heart and touching a tender chord he caused me to sing. And he penned these words, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. 
all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And here's what happened from that moment on. As an evangelist, he traveled across the U.S. and England and Scotland. But one of the biggest things, probably one of the biggest impacts he had was on a young evangelist named Billy Graham. At a church in Florida, a Bible camp, he got to teach and he got to share that song. And Billy Graham mentions mentions him and what influence that had in his life. And think about that. Had he not heeded the call that God had asked him to do, would that have impacted a bit, has been as big as it was on Billy Graham? When we continue on in Jonah, we get to chapter four. Chapter three, we get to see Jonah and his travel to Nineveh, and they turn from their ways and they repent, and God removes his anger from them. But in chapter four, we get to see Jonah taking a different approach. Rather than uh, surrendering and staying surrendered, he sits on a hillside overlooking the city of Nineveh and he begins to whine and he begins to complain. Even though he had surrendered up to that point, he refused to surrender again. And God showed him a few things. Gave him a few examples with the plant and stuff there in chapter four that you can read about. But I love this part in verse 2. Jonah's talking to the Lord, and this is why he was whining. He says, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Even though he whined, his hatred, his despair, disrespect for the Assyrian people overwhelmed him and overcome him in that moment. And even though God had given them grace and shown them mercy, Jonah wasn't able to surrender to that. So today as you came in, you got a white flag. If you haven't got one, I just want you to go ahead and raise your your hand so the ushers can get you one if you didn't get one. Uh, They're coming here, so. But this white flag represents surrender, right? It represents many militaries or individuals in war's time have come out waving the white flag. Some have misused it and have used it as trickery, but most of the time they come out waving the white flag because they're ready to give in. They're ready to surrender. They're ready to stop fighting the war that they've been fighting for so long. We have a couple up here, guys, too. See, our resistance to God is reckless. But our surrender to God sets us free. And each and every day, we have to continually surrender ourselves to God. In the next moments, as we bow our heads, I just want us to close our eyes. And if you've never said yes to Jesus before, if today you're here and the first time and you're just saying, man, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give you a moment here at 
close to the end that I want you to raise that flag, okay? But maybe you've said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe, maybe you just said Je- uh, yes to Jesus recently, but there's still something in your life that you're holding on to. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's jealousy. Maybe there's a relationship that's gone astray that you need to make right. Maybe, just maybe, there's some hurt that you've never dealt with. You know, as mankind, as, as a people, it's amazing how much we hide. It's amazing how much we deal with internally that we never let people know about, even those closest to us. Sometimes it's to protect them. Sometimes we don't want to hurt them. Sometimes it's just because we don't know what to do with it. Surrendering's hard. There's fear in surrender because we have to let go and we have to trust God. And we don't like to trust people. And we don't like to trust God a lot of times because of things that have happened in our lives where we've either broken trust or trust has been broken on us. And just because you surrender to God doesn't mean that everything is going to be rosy either, right? Oftentimes, sometimes it gets harder when we follow Christ because he wants to refine us and mold us and shape us. But in that surrender, we get to find that sweet, sweet freedom that only he can give. No matter what we may face on the outside, if we have surrendered our hearts in the inside, man, it's amazing what we can go through. You read the scriptures and you see what Paul and the disciples had to endure. And yet they, they lift up their heads and they say, oh, but this is just temporary compared to what, God, you have for us in eternity. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're ready to surrender your life today, I want you to raise up that flag. Raise up that flag and say yes for the first time I want to make my commitment to Christ today. I want to say yes. I want you to raise it high and say, here I am, Lord. I surrender to you. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to. Maybe there's a relationship at, 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 at the end and you need to fix it. But you can't do it yet. You need God's help. Maybe it's that anger or that lust or whatever it may be that you just can't let go of. I want you to surrender it today. I want you to raise that flag up and say, God, I've been holding on to this. I've been a follower of yours, but today, God, I'm going to surrender it to you and I'm going to believe you to help me through that. Let's raise those flags. If you need to surrender something to Jesus today, raise them high and say, God, here I am. Here I am. I surrender it to you, to you and your will and your way. I'm not going to let me get in the way anymore, God. I'm going to let you have full control. God, you see all of us who are surrendering something to you. Whether it be saying yes to you for the first time, God, or it's laying down something that we've been holding on to, whether it be new or be old, God, we give it to you. We give it to you, God, and we let your Holy Spirit take over in our lives. And God, say, here I am. 
here I am, Lord, each and every day. I'm going to surrender this to you. So when we live in that surrender, God, that you help us. God, you help us experience your freedom. God, I thank you for each one that raised their flag today. God, give them the strength each and every day. Let your Holy Spirit be so prominent in their lives, God, that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with them and that you are guiding them, that you are leading them, God, that you are going to help them surrender. God, and it's in that surrender, in that surrender, God, that we get to see your victory. We get to see your victory in our lives, and we get to live in that victory. We get to be victors in Christ because we have surrendered our life to you, God, and I thank you for that, God. I pray over them, God. Encourage them, God, and let them experience your goodness and your presence like they've never experienced it before. God, as they let these go, and they let you in and have control. Thank you for that. In your name will we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys keep these flags. Put them somewhere you can remember. Just surrender your life to God each and every day. God's good, isn't he? Amen. If you would, let's just go ahead and stand before we sing here. And I just want to pray this prayer over you. Go ahead and stand. This is my prayer for you today. May you flee from living a life of resistance. May you lay down your life, your desires, and wants each day and surrender to Christ our King. And in this surrender, I pray, man, I pray this over each of you, that you experience freedom, that you experience joy and a peace that will prevail no matter what storm you may face. Amen. Let's sing together. I surrender all.